We are back for this week's edition of the MA Report Podcast. I am Jason Foy. That is Daniel Gavon. It is Thursday, September the 21st. Just uh, bright and early here in the East Coast, just after 8 o'clock in the morning, my time, 7 a.m. there in the Rio Grande with Daniel. Daniel, good morning, man. How's it going, man? Man, it is going great, bro. I uh, just had a good uh, noche sleep, as they say. I've just been throwing noche and everything I've been going. Noche UFC was a lot of fun. You know, I felt uh, as a Hispanic, I, I liked it. Um, it was it was a good deal. So uh, I'm feeling the vibes heading into this next week. We got ourselves a UFC, a Bellator, some really good college football games this week. I don't want to talk about the NFL with you. Uh, but other than that, I'm doing great. Dude, Saturday, man. Saturday is a great day to to be a sports fan, especially if you, if you like the mixed martial arts and you love college football. I mean, college football's got like a marquee game at every time slot. Plus, you got Bellator. Uh, that card starts at uh, the main card starts at four p.m. Eastern time. I want to say the the prelims start like at, at twelve p.m. or one p.m. Uh, of course, you got the UFC card at, at night as well. Fiziev and Gamrot, the main event. Nice uh, lightweight matchup there in the main event, and of course, all the college football action going on there. As uh, you know, I mean. Obviously, so much to talk about. Of course, we all know. I mean, look, we're we're five days removed from from Noche UFC, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have taken in a lot of MMA podcasts talking about what happened, you know, with the scorecards with Mike Bell. I think one of the things that to me really hasn't been talked about is the fight quality that we saw in the main event. I think you know because obviously we get that you know the the judges' scorecards is going to be the thing that gets clicks, get listens. But I think that's kind of one of the things that people don't talk about. What the, the topic that I wanted to bring up here to start the show is what makes a judge an elite judge in mixed martial arts. You know, we could you know I mean look to me a judge is like an offense alignment, Daniel. The only time you hear an offensive lineman's name is when there's a flag, it's holding, it's it's false start, whatever it may be. You know, when, when a judge does what you expect the judge to do, you never know. And it's just like I was watching the Danny White scrum last night from Tuesday after Contender Series. I don't know how many judges' names Dana White really knows. I don't think he knows the credentials of a Mike Bell. And look, I'm not trying to defend Mike Bell. It was an awful fifth-round scorecard. We can all agree to that. But it's one of these things of, if I poll 50 mixed martial arts fans, you know, or, or, or 50 people who cover this sport in some capacity, I wonder what their definition would be for what an elite judge is. I think you are kind of hitting the nail on the head with what an elite judge is. An elite judge is doing your job a whole lot and no one's saying your name. We're saying Mike Bell's name for the first time in a long time. Because the 10-8 round that he scored, I mean, that's pivotal. If he scores at 10-9, as he should have, for either Grasso or Shevchenko, but let's say 10-9 for Grasso, Valentina Shevchenko is literally your champion right now. That is how pivotal that round is. And now we have Shevchenko versus Blanchfield. Because he went 10-8, we are probably doing a rematch. Aaron Blanchfield is going to have to wait a while. And people are affected here, and we have a draw in the record books. So that's how pivotal it is. But to be elite, it's very similar to being elite in any other sport. You know, in the National Basketball Association, there's a whole lot of guys that can score 25 to 30 points in a given night. The elite players are the ones who do it each and every night. An elite judge is someone who provides correct scorecards each and every night consistently. And I will say Mike Bell has really done a great job of providing consistent, correct scorecards. It's about maintaining focus and making sure you are paying attention each round and scoring it according to the criteria and not doing a boneheaded mistake. Mike Bell on Saturday, it's the first time in a while I've seen him make a boneheaded mistake. And it's the first time in a while we're ever talking about Mike Bell. And that lets you know he's halfway decent at this judging thing. I don't think we've ever brought Mike Bell's names in the past in relation to judging, but like I wrote down two things in our rundown sheet. The first thing is if a judge scores 500 fights and they only have 5% of their scores that are bad slash questionable, do you call that an elite judge? I would say that's an elite judge because, I mean, look, we cannot expect perfection out of an official. Do you expect a perfection out of a NBA referee? 
a MLB umpire. I mean, geez, there's been some MLB umpires this year that have been really off. Or you'll say an NFL referee. I mean, look, we're we're human. Mistakes are going to happen. So, I mean, to me, like you have to be realistic in what your expectations are. Also, I will say this, and once again, not defending Mike Bell's scorecard. It was a bad scorecard. No question about that. Fifth round is not a 10-8 round. But I will say this. It is a million times easier to sit in front of your television set and and score a fight as opposed to being the person sitting in that seat next to the cage. Yeah, it is. You just need to avoid the clear errors. When the Nevada State Athletic Executive is coming out and saying you did it wrong, you probably screwed up. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is rough because executives and commission like don't really comment that clearly after a fight night. So there's a difference between maybe like a questionable scorecard versus clearly blatantly wrong. And so that's a real issue. It needs to be corrected. But again, there should be some room for error because as you mentioned, we're all humans. I mean, look at the referee in the fight between um, Chares and Daniel Lacerda, mm-hmm. where Daniel Lacerda's hand goes down and the referee breaks the fight because he thinks he's out, you know? That is a human error. That's a human mistake. And it's also something that to me is understandable, honestly, um, what happened there. It's it's not great. It's it's a lesson to be learned from. But that split-second reaction, which is what we're dealing with in that situation, is just proof that humans do make mistakes. The difference is – or the, the key thing is with this situation here is me making a mistake at my job – doesn't impact people mm-hmm. as much as the judge making a mistake that maybe impacts a fighter getting a win or loss on the record or getting a win or loss bonus. And you brought up the point about, you know, a regulator. And one of the things is we rarely see regulators come out publicly and talk about a scorecard that everyone views as a questionable scorecard or, 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 or bad scorecard, whatever analogy you want to use. And to me, a reason that we do not see that happen, I think a lot of it is the regulators want to try to protect the judges and referees as best as they can. You know, look, they do not want them going to the media and talking because they do not want something, you know, something to be said that, that should not be said. And it's, it's a rarity in the sport that we even see a official talk to the media. I mean, to me, the only time I can recall personally for me that I had a conversation uh, on, an on the record conversation with an official um, was back at Bellator 120. So, I mean, shit, we're going back, what, seven years? However long that's been. And it was in the main event between, I want to say it was the Chandler and Brooks fight. And Rob Hines was one of the ref, one of the judges in that matchup. And I talked to Rob after, and you know he had a a different scorecard than Todd Anderson. And he and he told me he said he goes, what I did was I went up to Todd Anderson. I said, what did you see? What did you have a a different perspective? And so like, I mean, look, look, judging is a very hard job to do. And I know one of the things that people think is that oh, former fighters need to be referees and judges. Well, there's obviously a reason fighters and are not getting involved in this and. and there's a lot of scrutiny, and let's just be honest about it. There's not a lot of money in, in being an MMA judge or a referee. I mean, like, I, I'm not trying to give Mike Bell a pass, but to me, when you talk about who are some of the elite judges in mixed martial arts, even though this is an awful mistake by Mike Bell, to me, he's still one of the elite judges in our sport. Yeah, people make mistakes. Great officials make mistakes. Jason Herzog didn't see the hair pull in the Tracy Cortez-Jasmine Jazzy Divisius fight. You know, that was a pretty blatant hair pull that led to Jasmine landing the head kick. Pretty sure you can't pull somebody's hair in mixed martial arts. And Jason Herzog, I would consider to be one of the best officials in the sport. People make mistakes. The thing is, when you make a clear mistake, do you do it on the prelims or do you do it in the main event? If you do it in the main event, we're going to talk about you. Had he made a mistake with the exact same mistake like that in the Josephine Knudsen fight to start off the card? which, I mean, that's the, maybe one of the easiest fights to score in, of the year. Had he made a mistake there, we wouldn't be talking about him. But because it was the main event, he now becomes the most important storyline coming out of Saturday night. Mike Bell, 
is the most important storyline. People start looking at him. They start looking at his rec- resume, seeing he's more liberal when it comes to the 10-8 rounds. Uh, so, yeah, in a round in which it wasn't even clear who won it in the first place, going 10-8 was pretty outrageous. But it's important to take a step back and be like, you know, he's still a pretty good judge. You know, well, well, but, but, yeah, to, 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 to wrap up your idea about why we don't see fighters – it doesn't pay well, and we've never been like, damn, you know who's a good judge? So-and-so. Like, no one – judges never get respect. Like, we'll never see a judge inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame for his judging work. Yeah, and, and by the way, it, you mentioned about that Canucks and Man fight. Mike Bell had three 10-8 rounds in that one for a 30-24 to scorecard in that one. Also, he was the one judge that scored the fight for Kevin Holland in the co-main event, which I think kind of, uh, as we move forward, Jack Della Madalena, going kind of interesting to kind of see is I think, uh, you know, the, the ceiling seemed to be so high on him. And I think there's maybe a lot of questions of how high should that ceiling be? But I mean, like, look, I'm, I'm not trying to sit here and defend Mike Bell at all. I'm just saying like, you know, as people who enjoy this sport, it, you know, we're sitting here on September 21st, 2023, Daniel, we could be here 15 years from now. We're still going to be talking about bad judging or, or questionable scorecards. Yeah, absolutely. We we are. It's going to be an intrinsic part of the sport until we get robot judges that um, apply the uh, judging criteria and it's a point-based system. Dude, I, I, I mean, we both love college football. Apparently, people are using AI to create fake press conferences on social media. Apparently, this clip that I thought was real of the Iowa offensive coordinator talking about, you know, how he's got a stipulations contract about how they got to score 25 points a game. Apparently someone created AI to create this fake press conference. Of him talking about it? Yeah. Oh, man, that is crazy. Yeah, AI is dangerous. I mean, one of these days we'll just release an AI podcast and see if anybody notices. Dude, okay. Have you ever gone on chat uh, GPT? No, I haven't. You can literally go on there and say MA podcast topics and it'll give you things. Is that how you put together a run sheet? No, it's not. It's it, the reason I know about this was I was talking to one of my other shows and recently within, I'd probably say about the past two months. And, and he said to me, he's like, he goes, you'll never, he goes, I went on chat GPT and he goes, I literally, that's how I came up with the topic today. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Yeah. We should do uh should do one topic per podcast that is generated by artificial intelligence and just see if the listeners right. can guess which one. Right, I just I just put in MMA podcast topics. Whew, it is uh, good lord. I'm it's it's already giving me ten plus topics here. We we what, here, what's the guy? we got number one fighter profiles, in depth discussions about prominent MMA fighters, their backgrounds, career highlights, and fighting styles. Two fight previews and reviews. Three historical moments. Four training and techniques. Five MMA news and updates. Six women in MMA. Seven weight class and rankings. Eight MMA business and promotions. Nine MMA health and safety. Ten fancy matchups. Good lord, it's giving me fifteen topics. Number 11, MMA culture. Explore the fan culture, traditions, and unique aspects of MMA fandom. That's actually not that's actually not a bad topic. That's an interesting topic there. Um, yeah. 12, behind-the-scenes stories. 13, international MMA. 14, MMA movies and documentaries. 15, MMA and fitness. I don't know how many people are going to do M- about fitness talk in terms of mixed martial arts podcasts, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. literally, yeah, chat beat GPT. You can literally go on there, and it can give you a ton of... Uh, Ton of information. Now, how much of it is actually accurate? Eh, that's another story. Can Chat GPT, you know, as you kind of, as we kind of look move forward, I just have to. I feel like I need to apologize. I don't know. Chat GPT can help me with an apology. Uh, how can I make an apology for picking Terrence Mitchell to beat Ryle Rosas? Um, I did that last week. I, he warned I, me. I told you, friends don't let friends bet on Terrence Mitchell or or Alaska FC fighters should say. <laughs> That was crazy. That was crazy, bro. I was watching that fight, and the fight didn't even start. I just saw the two dudes in the cage, and I was like, damn, Terrence is about to get his ass kicked. I mean, Raul Rosas is looking like a fighter, and Terrence is like, what? I'm not in AFC anymore? Crap. And by God, Raul Rosas just went to work, and now the hype train is back on the tracks, my man. Um, Yeah, I got to say, Jason, UFC Noche, pretty fun. Had a good time watching it. Again, 
every time every UFC card is so watered down. It needs to be mentioned every time. But dude, these people know how to make money. They know how to make big gates for there is some genius to what Endeavor and UFC are doing, bro. Because like they they're giving us basically three or two or three high quality fights on this one. They only had two. Grasso, Sevchenko, Holland, Maddalena. The rest of the fights were solid, right? There's talent in in that Zell Huber Diagos fight, that Lupi Godinez, Roman Coppola. These are talented fighters, but overall it's a pretty watered down fight card. But I watched the product and the fights themselves are entertaining. The crowd is into it. And most importantly for Endeavor slash the UFC, they made a lot of money on that gate in the T-Mobile arena. Yeah, Dana talked about it on Tuesday night just about uh, you know how well it did on ESPN Plus and I want to say it had three times the watch minutes that a typical um, UFC event has. I want to say that was maybe the, the Spanish version of it, but he, he just talked about it and raised about some of the numbers that are out there. We'll, we'll talk about what Dana White had to say uh, following uh, the Tuesday scrum here in a little bit. We'll talk about our best bets as last week was not a, a very good week for both of us over there, but uh, as uh, Daniel was the only one to pull away with a victory there, as uh, we'll, we'll get into those best bets. Well, you went 0-3? I went 0 3 yeah, last week. I had. Oh, uh, I had, suck it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, I had the Godinez decision, Jasmine decision, and then uh, the money line on Kevin Holland, which. Uh, you know, if I would have had one more judge, that would have been a victory there. But we'll talk about our best bets here in a moment. But, you know, of course, you did mention about the fact of it is a busy mixed martial arts weekend. We got Bellator and the UFC both coming up on Saturday. Of course, the Bellator over in Dublin, so we get them earlier on in the day. Then at night, we got the UFC event there at the UFC Apex, headlined by a nice lightweight matchup. But the topic I wanted to bring up is, is the best middleweight currently in mixed martial arts fighting on Saturday? And that is Johnny Eblen defending his title against Fabian Edwards in the main event of Bellator 299. And, of course, we, you know, I think Daniel, for the most part, when we talk about who is the best mixed martial arts in a certain division, and this one being middleweight, you would say it's the UFC champion. But if I'm out and about on a Saturday night watching these fights and, you know, we're, we're, you know there's some fellas sitting around the bar and I go, hey, man, who do you think the best current uh, middleweight MMA is? I don't know how many would say Johnny Eblen, but there is very. I think there's very much a very intriguing argument to say from a talent perspective, he might be the best middleweight. Yes, it's an open ballpark, and Johnny Eplin has a lot of upside. Really, realistically, a lot of those Bellator champions have those cases in various weight classes, like Amosov and Nimkov. Eplin also could be the best middleweight in the world. You come to me at the bar and you ask me who's the best middleweight in the world, I'm not going to tell you Johnny Eplin. I'm going to tell you Sean Strickland. The reason being is the quality of competition and the track record. For Johnny Eblen, at this point, he's only put together three quality victories over John Salter, Gegard Mousasi, and Anatoly Tokov. In addition to that, he hasn't finished any of those fights. I'm also looking for finishes. That being said, Eblen's a part of the conversation. His record is unblemished. He was unbelievably impressive against Gegard Mousasi, and his strong point is that he is very, very good at both aspect at every aspect of the fight game. Very well-rounded fighter that can adjust to his opponents. And today, he may in fact be the best middleweight in the world. You put him in the cage with Sean Strickland, he may beat him. But me talking to you today, if those two were matched up, Sean and Johnny, I am picking Sean Strickland to win via decision. I think Sean Strickland is able to keep it standing. And even though Johnny is one hell of a striker, I think Sean's aggressive and awkward approach to getting out of the way and, and just being in your face would lead to a decision win. That being said, Johnny has a seat at the table when that table is talking about who's the best 185er in the world. It's a more interesting debate right now, the fact that Izzy is not the UFC middleweight champion. You bring up the point about Johnny Eblen's strength of schedule. Obviously, Sean Strickland's best win is Izzy. What's his second best win? Let's just start going down the wins. You got Magomedov, Imovov, Hermanson, Hall, Jocko, Allen, Marshman, Talib, McGee, Breeze, Garcia, Arujo, and Barnett and McDaniel are his UFC wins. Yeah, there aren't a lot. And, and number two is probably Jack Hermanson. But the difference is everybody before John Salter, which is Johnny's first 10 wins, 
kind of throw those out the window. I mean, those mm-hmm. are just people who don't matter. No offense to Colin Huck, Body, and Daniel Madrid, and Mauricio Alonso. But realistically, we're looking at three quality wins for Eblin versus versus Strickland's got a whole crap load of quality wins, but he doesn't have those elite wins. So he like like there isn't that clear cut Israel Adesanya as champion middleweight right now. That's for damn sure. But you are right, Jason, to point out that there's a big gap between his win over Izzy and literally every other fight he's had. Now, I mean, maybe the split decision of Jared Cannonier is his second most impressive performance. Yeah, I mean, and Jared Cannonier is hoping that that's going to be uh, what's next for him. We're going to talk about Izzy here in, in a moment, but you know, I just pulled up the UFC top 15 uh, rankings at middleweight. Currently, outside of Izzy, Sean Strickland has only two other wins against fighters currently in the top 15, uh, and that is... Uh, you, you you look at that win against Imovov. Uh, you mentioned about Hermanson. I mean, look, and I might look at that and say, you know, even though it was, I think Brian Allen is a much different fighter now than he was in 2020. Brian Allen might be that second best win on his resume. Yeah, at the time, Brandon Allen was pretty good. I, I think so, but I mean, I, I would still say Hermanson at the time maybe was ranked higher than Brandon Allen whenever Strickland beat Hermanson. I could be wrong though. But uh, yeah, that is it, it is striking, and it's not something I really thought about um, and was aware of. So I'm but just pull, it, uh, I'm pulling up the Fight Matrix MMA rankings and looked at middleweight. Wow, this is interesting. Where do you think they have Johnny Eblen? <laughs> the fact that I said this is interesting probably is a little bit of a hit. That I'm thirty six. He is seventh. Oh wow! Ahead of him. Is Hamzat Chemaev, Robert Whitaker, Drakus Duplessis, Jared Kanir, Izzy, and then Strickland being number one. There's a lot of good middleweights in the world right now. When you when you I mean, when you list that those names out, those are all high quality elite fighters, though. Kind of, kind of interesting that they have Fabian Edwards number nine. That is crazy to me. I would not put Fabian Edwards at nine. I mean, he yeah. look, he's coming off a great win against Gegard Mousasi, no question, which got him th- this title fight. But I-, I would not put him that high. I mean, I mean, look, you know, Hamzat Shemaev, we really haven't seen, you know, I mean, I, I think like when you talk about Hamzat Shemaev and, and where do you rank him at middleweight, I think a lot of it has to do more with how we view him as a fighter as opposed to what his resume is in terms of 185-pound fights, which I think you could also say that about Johnny Eblen. Clearly, Gegard Mousasi is his most notable victory. But to me, I, I just look at the town of Johnny Eblin. Like, if Johnny Eblin were to walk into the UFC today, I think he's one fight away from fighting for the title. Yeah, I think he's definitely going to be put in that position. You know, they're going to bring him in and match him with Robert Whitaker. I mean, that's kind of – he'll be in that Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler trajectory is where he would be. But, yes, is Johnny the best middleweight in the world? I don't know. But he has a case for it. He really does. It's hard for me, from a talent perspective, to not think because of what he can do in terms of mixing up the wrestling with the grappling. And look, anytime you talk to somebody from American Top Team about Johnny Eblen, I, th- I think sometimes I got to realize that their judgment is going to be a little clouded because that's their guy. But, uh, I mean, look, I, Johnny Eblen to me is one of the best out there. Of course, uh, mentioned about Bellator. Uh, 299, which of course goes down there on Saturday, by the way. Uh, actually, the prelims start at 11 a.m. each time. I was just pulling up the press release uh, because they're doing media day, which uh, starts here in about 14 minutes as, as we're doing the show here on a Thursday morning. So 11 a.m. Eastern time, it will be on the Bell Tours YouTube channel. And then the main card, 4 p.m. Eastern time on Showtime. I was, I was, flying, I was out somewhere. And I actually saw a bar promoting the fact that they're going to have the Bellator fights on. I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. You really, <laughs> don't see that happen very often. <laughs> Do not no. see that happen very often. Um, but, it, it, I mean, look, it's it's a load-up card. It's got a nice, um, a nice main card. Pico versus Carvalho is the co-main event at 145 pounds. you got Sinead Cavanaugh versus Sarah Collins at 145 pounds. If Sarah Collins gets that win, it would not start to shock me if she's potentially fast-tracked to a uh, women's 145-pound title fight. Of course, well, I guess that all depends on kind of what happens with Bellator come uh, the end of this year, heading into 2024. Uh, Maz Rinell versus Daniel Vitals on this card. Uh, Sabah and, and Le'Veon is the opening matchup. Watch what matchup. That should be a nice little matchup 
to kick off the main card. Uh, also, some other ones I would uh, note, uh, Ben Wari and J.J. Wilson is on the prelims as well. You got Magomed Sherpoff is on the prelims as well. Um, those are really uh, – Luke Trainer is on this one. It, it, I mean, look, if you, if you want to take in a full day of mixed martial arts action, it's going to be very easy to do that. You can watch Bellator start at 11 a.m. Eastern time, roll you right into the UFC. Dude, yeah, it, it, it's going to be a nice little day if you're a sports fan, as you mentioned, as kick things off. And, you know, this is uh, getting the beak wet when it comes to Bellator, right? Because Bellator is about to give us some crazy cards. I mean, we're about to get some good Bellator cards for the first time in a long time. And this is one that's going to get your beak wet before we get into Bellator 300 and Bellator 301. I, here, here's a question of Bellator, and this will be a true-false. There is a Bellator 302. I just I'm gonna go true because like what like I just, I I lean false, dude. That's the most annoying thing in the world if they stop at 301 and not 300. <laughs> <laughs> I I I think a lot of that is is uncertainty of what's going to happen with this promotion. I, I still you ran 300 events. And you can't stop at 300? You have to do one more, Jason? I don't understand. I don't understand why. And got like the OCD part in my brain cannot accept the fact that they're going to stop at 301 and at 300. You know, the thing that I was thinking about yesterday is I wonder over the last six months, has Scott Coker hit up his friends in Silicon Valley to see if they'd be interested in buying Bellator? I got to think that the answer is that is yes. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think things have changed with the PFL, clearly. I think clearly maybe the asking price was too high or whatever. If I had to guess on what's going to happen, I still believe Bellator and the PFL will circle back and they will come to a deal. I, I had this thought yesterday. So I was talking to somebody about this. If PFL acquires Bellator, there's been a lot of, you know, there's a lot of rumblings online about what's going on. Whether, whatever you want to believe, I tend to believe more the the private conversations that I have. But I do think it's potentially a good idea. If if PFL acquires Bellator, you do run two promotions. You use Bellator as like the road to the PFL tournament. You use Bellator as a way of, earning your spot into the tournament. If you're only going to do 10 fighters in every division every year for a PFL tournament to get, you know, to win the PFL world championship, that that million dollar payday, use the Bellator brand as a, a way of how you get in that tournament. Yeah. I think that's a solid idea. Maybe go to the old school Bellator tournament format as well. Maybe not. Maybe just use it as the PFL challenger series because that's an interesting branding. It's an established name, and maybe it'll get more people to watch than just calling something PFL Challengers or PFL Europe. But uh, I do think if they do merge, the thing I'm most excited about and the thing I think they should do is – well, I can't believe I'm suggesting this. I think they should do a pay-per-view. I think they should do a PFL versus Bellator pay-per-view. I think fresh off the heels of purchasing Bellator mm. – well, I mean, I just think fresh off the heels of purchasing Bellator. But if you're PFL, you don't want all these Bellator fighters to come in and just clean your clock. Well, I mean, it's 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 they're they, they are now PFL fighters. I mean, they are now they are now under your but contract. They are now you, fighters. But you, you know what the, you know what that perception will be, though. Yeah, but I mean, I'm more interested in selling a pay per view and selling making some money. And that's a narrative you can sell. I think that's a narrative mm-hmm. you can sell. And I think you're capitalizing off the momentum of this promotion that's been around for ten plus years, right off the heel, right off the case. And yeah, will 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 more fighters win than not? No, but man, maybe that's a time. And Gondo will probably win the heavyweight matchup. You have that at least. 
Yeah, I mean, look, they, they're going to have to find somebody for Engano. That I mean, look, this the the PFL World Championship is going to be on ESPN Plus pay per view. We don't know what the price point is yet. That's not been announced. They they did announce the, the complete fight card earlier this week. Uh, it did include in terms of the uh, prelims on ESPN Plus. Chris Wade versus Bubba Jenkins was added to that. Also, uh, Ali Walsh will be a part of that as well in, in another amateur fight. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's I would be I'm really interested to see what that price point that pay per view is. If PFL comes out there with a a $60 pay-per-view price point for that November 24th card. No, thanks. Nope. Yeah. Not, not paying that. Sorry. Yeah, I agree with you. That's if, if you sat there and said 30 bucks. Okay. You can give me, you can give me to the television set for 30 bucks. I'll tell you this right yeah. now. I'm not going to put that pay-per-view at any, any, any of my bars. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, well, no one's coming and asking for that. I'm just, I'm sorry. No one is. Yeah, I mean, no one. Is. I mean, people really aren't watching the stuff that's not the UFC's main stuff. I mean, again, going back to, it's surprising to see the bell at the promotion. I mean, no one, no casual fan is like, oh hell yeah, Johnny Eblen, Fabian Edwards. I need to go to a bar at eleven to watch that. Like, no one is thinking that. No one's thinking that for any PFL cards. It's, it's just you know. Very few non-UFC cards get that attraction. In recent times, the only types of fights that have are like Jake Paul matchups. Um, there was some momentum for that Bellator pay-per-view with Tito Ortiz a couple times. That one, I think, did have a little bit of casual interest. Yeah. But by and large, yeah. I mean, it's going to be the hardcores that are excited for a PFL pay-per-view. And the hardcores probably won't go to a bar to watch it. They're just going to buy the pay-per-view or watch it illegally. Um, you know, the hardcore mm-hmm. is going to be the people that are excited for Eblin and Edwards. But, I mean, people are going to be more into college football. But uh, I, I, fly, fly it out. I'm more interested in college football, watching college football live on Saturday than – now, of course, I, look, I'm an FSU fan. They got a big game at noon. So I, I'm I'm most likely, if I'm not sitting on my couch, I'm going to a bar where the Tampa Knowles Club is at. Uh, but uh, and and yeah, are they gonna have Bellator on that day? Hell, hell to the no. What 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 are you excited about at Bellator two ninety nine? It's I mean, look, I look at the main event, but also I mean, to me, Aaron Pico is always must watch TV. I, I don't care who is standing across from him, whether it's Pedro Carvalho who will be standing across from him or somebody else. To me, Aaron Pico is always going to be a guy that that is going to always intrigue me to watch. Yep. 100% agree with you. The, the, the Hamasi fight should be a fun fight, too. Oh, yeah. Hamasi is one of the most entertaining guys uh, in Bellator's roster. He's just a fun dude yeah. to watch stand up and trade. Uh, I agree. It, it's the top two fights. Pedro Carvalho is one of the better dudes. Pico's fought in a while, but Pico still is a heavy favorite. But now it's kind of time for Pico to put together that featherweight championship run. It starts with Pedro. And for Eblin and Edwards, you know, Edwards proved himself against Musasi. Still think that Eblin has a clear trajectory to win, and that's by wrestling with Fabian and putting him on his back. You know, this could certainly stand on the feet, and Johnny could still win there. Fabian's a pretty talented striker, but I'm looking at, at Eblin to win in uh, in Europe. Yeah, my understanding is it's a sold-out event already. Wow. Good. Yeah, good. Dude, I'll say this. That is the one thing. You you can talk about some of the faults of Bellator, and I think one of the biggest faults is where they're broadcasted at. But one of the things they do a great job of is they know how to push tickets. They know how to get the right fighters on the car that are going to put butts in seats, and they do really well. Now, you know, we we just mentioned a question about who is the best MMA middleweight in the world. And, of course, for for a long time, the the answer to that question has been Izzy. Of course, Izzy coming off that loss against Sean Strickland, and he came out with his first public comments on his YouTube channel. Uh, It was transcribed here by MMAJunkie.com where he says, quote, like a bad dream, Anasanya said when he was asked about how he felt. One of He goes on to say, one of those were you, not even a nightmare. A nightmare is like, oh shit, fuck, a nightmare. You're scared. I was just like, you try to hit the guy, and it just felt like noodle arms. Like, what the fuck? It's just felt like a bad dream. Feeling it and watching it were completely different. I called Eugene right after, and we talked in the same thing. We're quietly confident. 
And the article goes on to say, it says, on top of not feeling himself, Adesanya won't shy away from acknowledging that Strickland and his coaches had a great game plan and they executed perfectly. Quote, I just wasn't able to get my rhythm because of his pressure, Adesanya said. He was right there constantly wherever I was setting him up because he was right there. His coach would help him out and I would be like, fuck, good game plan from them. But also for me, I wasn't able to adjust on the fly. It was his night. I was his night, and yeah, he got it done. I made another dream come true. And uh, I mean, if people have not checked out Izzy's YouTube channel, I mean, he's he, when you watch the videos, you, you just feel I mean very transparent there. And I mean, look, it, it wasn't his night, and you know, and, and Eric Nixick talked about it, and, and he said he's like, hey, after the fight was over, Izzy came up to me and, and gave me kudos here, and you know, this is where you know you, you have you know, this is where I always say this. I say this in whether we're talking about basketball, football, baseball, whatever it is, coaching matters. I mean, look, obviously this is a one-on-one sport and you got to have talent, but when you have that coach that just knows how to call out the right things, these are the type of things that happen in the sport. Yeah, that's why it's probably not best to – who who was it that put their girlfriend in their corner randomly who was not like a hardcore – like a Mike Perry, right? Yep, Mike Perry. Yeah. yeah, like imagine the difference between having Aaron Nixick in your corner and your girlfriend who is an MMA fighter in your corner. I mean, that's just a – it's like having Bill Belichick or my uncle my uncle Mikey, you know, out there telling me advice. Like, oh, sweep the leg, butterfly kick. The one thing is – I just wasn't able to get my rhythm because of his pressure. Here's my one thing for Izzy is like, we kind of knew that was going to happen. That wasn't some great shocker that Sean Strickland was going to apply pressure and move forward and make you uncomfortable. That isn't a lesson that should be learned in the benefit of hindsight. If I'm a college football team and I go up against a military school, I shouldn't be like, damn, Navy used a triple option. I didn't see that one coming. Like, that is Sean Strickland's MO. So that is one thing I will say. It's not like it was this grand, like, oh, he applies pressure. Now I can beat him. You you knew that going in. Uh, uh, The kind of give you a football story is uh, when I was uh, calling high school games on the radio. There was a, a team here locally. There, they they were a, a powerhouse for a long time. So I I've followed high school recently, so I don't know if they're still a powerhouse, but Armwood High School here here in the Tampa area. And so we did a lot of their games. And I remember before a game, I was, I was on, on the sideline talking to one of the opposing coaches, and I said, "I go, you know, what's coming the first play of the game, right?" He goes, "Oh yeah, fullback dive." He goes, "They run that play. It's a first play every game." He goes, "You already know what's coming." And it's gonna be it's gonna work too because their boys are better than your their the other boys. Yeah, it's, dude, that uh, that it's the it's in football that is the most demoralizing thing. If you can sit there and tell the other team we're running this in this gap, try to stop us. Exactly, and you do see that especially in high school football. There's those big gaps, and now when you look at Izzy and Sean, if they fight again, Izzy knows what Sean is gonna do. Can he do something about it? He knows he's going to be aggressive. Will Izzy find his rhythm? I don't know. I, I Sean, Sean has a very interesting fighting style. It's going to be very interesting to see what he does as champion, how long he's able to hold on to that championship bout, or if that was just the perfect night for Strickland. Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, yeah whether they do the Izzy uh, rematch immediately, which Dana White's kind of allude to, but not really, you know, all in on. Maybe Jared Canier gets a fight. Of course, Jared Canier was a backup for that one, and there was a thought process that maybe he was going to step in on fight week, just uh, maybe do the shenanigans of, of Sean Strickland. But as we look ahead to this weekend and give our best bets for UFC Vegas 79 and Bellator 299, of course, this is something we started last week here on the podcast. Uh, Daniel going one and two last week as he correctly had Godinez winning via submission. So nice call there, uh, of course. Uh, but also, I mean, look, Mike Bell did screw you on going two and one for the week. I know I went Shevchenko by decision, uh, which was um, well, it was not right. And then, of course, you're um, you were apparently drunk doing the podcast, saying uh, Terrence Mitchell was going to beat Raul Rosas. Of course, we know that. Happened. Hey, man! La- last week, go- I go, I go zero three. I had Godinez via decision. Of course, we know she won by submission. I had Jasmine via decision. That did not go well. And then I had uh, Ke- Kevin Holland to, to win, and that did not go my way. So we're going to see if we can turn things around this week. And uh, I was very grateful 
when uh, went over the best fight odds this morning to see that we, because when I was looking at some of the odds last night, I was like, man, can I get some prop bets on Bellator? Yes, there's some prop bets available. And so one of my three plays this week, uh, actually two of my three plays this week, we prop bets. Uh, the other one will be a money line. But I'm only going to go with one play over at Bellator. Even though, and you brought up this point a little bit earlier about him, is that he has been winning all these fights via decision. I think Johnny Edwin will finish Fabian Edwards on Saturday in Dublin. I like Johnny Edwin wins inside the distance at plus 140. Oh, man, that's a good bet. Those are some good odds there because, I mean, Johnny is literally minus 530 favorite. So if you like that, that's pretty good. Um, I'll tell you what, I'll give you my Bellator best bet. It can be straight up. I just like Daniel Weichel to beat Maz Burnell at plus 220. I think those are good odds. Uh, Daniel Weichel is a bit past his prime, in my opinion, but to me, he still has more of a track record. And I, I just like those odds in this matchup, especially in Europe. So give me Daniel Weichel plus 220. That's my one Bellator bet. Yeah, the other uh, Bellator one I was looking at was I was looking at the Aaron Pico uh, in um, wins via TKO KO, which I want to say was like minus one fifteen ish. I'm just pulling it up right here. Uh, Pico is actually now minus one fifty. He's been bet up a little bit here. I mean, if you want to play a little bit dangerous and say Pico wins by decision, you could get a plus three fifty. But I, I think the likelihood is Pico probably goes out there and gets out there. But yeah, you, you just got you have a lot of big favorites on, on Bellator this week. I mean, um, you know, I, the Sarah Collins plus one fourteen. I think is kind of interesting. Um, the Hamasi fight. I would be more looking at maybe a, an under. Um, the under one and a half rounds is plus 120. I mean, that gives you a little bit of plus money. If you want to go the under two and a half rounds, minus 150. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mentioned what does Roman Ferraldo look like? How does he bounce back? He's actually a plus 100 uh, betting underdog there. Um, if you are looking for a parlay piece, even though he's a 7-1 to one favorite, Magomed Sheripoff, uh, he should go out there and win pretty easily there. But my other two best bets this week, Daniel, are going to come over in the UFC Vegas 79 card. And one of them actually is in the main event. And I think, you know, we can kind of talk a little bit about, you know, the breakdown of the main event here as, as I give my pick here. Afiziev and, and Gamer Gamrot here is, of course, uh, Rafael Fiziev is a minus 155 betting favorite. Matias Gamrot is plus 130. And, I mean, look, we, we know what Gamrot can do in terms of the grappling ability. We know what Fiziev can do in terms of the striking ability. If Matias Gamrot is going to pull this off, to me, this is about him getting it into the fourth and fifth round, testing that cardio that we have seen in terms of him. But my pick in this one is Rafael Fiziev. I like Rafael Fiziev to win via TKO KO at plus 175. And, and the thing that really sticks out to you is three fights in a row is that Matthias Gamrot has been dropped. He was dropped by Armin Sarukian. Benil Dariush and Jalen Turner. When we're, I mean, look, we all know Benil Dariush, the jiu-jitsu guy. We've, we've seen him drop guys, but when we think of him and, and Sarukian going out there, and if Gamrock cannot get the takedown, he can't get this fight into the later rounds. I do like uh, Rafael Fiziev to win this one. That's why my second best bet is going to be Fiziev wins by TKO KO at plus 175. Damn, that's, a, that's some good analysis because the thing is, Fiziev's a better striker than those dudes. So... If those dudes could drop Gamrot, I mean, what, what's Raphael going to do? Here's here's what's crazy is we, we're betting the same fight, but we're on different sides of the token. I am going Gamrot to win via decision plus 240. Here's what I like about Gamrot. I like his jab. I think he has a solid stand-up to go along with his grappling and a very awkward approach. And I think he's not going to like allow Fazeev to really dictate this fight on the feet, even though Fazeev may be the better quote-unquote striker. So I'm thinking Gamrot's going to win some rounds with his grappling. I think Raphael the Bloom kind of was off the rose in his last fight. I was ready for him to kind of take over the world, but Gaethje won. And that was an absolute war. So I think he's going to get kind of upset here. And I think if Gamrot does win, it's going to be via decision. 
Yeah, I mean, look, he he has to stretch this fight out. I mean, and and you utilize that grappling. Now, my third one, I'm going to go over once again over to the UFC card. I'm going to go down to that Charles Jordan and Ricardo Ramos matchup. I like Jordan to win this one. He's a minus. 135 betting favor. I mean, look, he has fought the much better competition in this one. Um, I want to see what, what Ricardo looks like on the scale. He's had issues making 145 pounds in the past, so we'll see if that happens. Uh, I like Jordan to use his striking and uh, probably walks away with a decision victory, but I'd rather just take, uh, take the minus 135 on the money line. That's one of the better fights on that fight card there, Ramos and Jordan. Good pick there. Jordan last time. I mean, Ramos last time we saw him, he had that spinning knockout. Um, so that's a good fight, and uh, it's a fun one to have money on. I was looking at some other picks. There's some, there are some quality fights. Looking forward to seeing Mizuki in a way return to the octagon. She has a pretty good opportunity when she's taking on Hannah Goldie to look good. Um I was thinking of putting money on the over on 40. It was 40. How many people are going to fall asleep in the apex when Usman and Collier fight? But uh, <laughs> I'm not going to put money on that. Excited to see Brian Battle back in there. And then obviously the favorite for five of the night has to be, if it's not the main event, uh, Tim Means and Andre Filo. Um, my pick is Danny Gay via decision at plus 450 against Bryce Mitchell. We know what Bryce Mitchell is going to want to do. He's going to want to grapple with Danny Gay. I think Danny has got some pretty solid defense. By the and by the way, just to circle back to that main event, Gamrot being able to gra- grapple Fazeev is going to be very hard. Fazeev's got great takedown defense. I go back. Ige is obviously the better striker. I think he keeps it standing, and I think he's going to outstrike Bryce Mitchell. I think Danny Ige represents one of the better dudes Bryce Mitchell has fought. But Bryce Mitchell is incredibly tough, and I don't think Dan will be able to finish him with strikes. So I think it goes the distance, and they go Danny Gay decision plus four fifty. Yeah, I mean, I mean, clearly that's that's grappler versus striker. I mean, the only issue I do have is Ige has been taken down by strikers. That's kind of been a little bit of an issue there. Of course, uh, Bryce Mitchell has had a uh, an interesting away from fighting life, uh, as his uh, ex girlfriend apparently took out his fruit trees in his front yard. So either he's going to be coming really pissed off or he's got a lot on his mind on this one. He hasn't fought in a year, uh, but uh, it's kind of to see, you know, and I think Dan Ige and, I mean, everyone loves Dan. Uh, I think he might be starting to become that G word gatekeeper in this division. I think it's kind of that litmus test uh, of can you be elite in this division. Uh, other things that stuck out to me in terms of a betting angle on this one, um, Jacob Malcoon, he is a massive betting favorite, nearly a six to one betting favorite against Cody Brundage. He has shown to be a guy that wins by decision. Uh, you can get some plus money on Malcoon win be a decision at plus one thirty. Um, it also actually looks like people are putting some money on, on Jacob Malcoon to win inside the distance at plus one ten. Uh, by the way, I uh, seen some pictures of Jake Collar. Looks like Jake Collar's uh lost a little bit of weight, so I want to see what he looks like on the scale. Uh, Muhammad Usman. Look, I've never been big on him. Um, doesn't throw a lot of volume, um, which, by the way, Jake Collier is very much a, a volume guy. Uh, you mentioned about uh, Mizuki. She's actually been training at uh, Sarah Longo. She hasn't fought in three years. That's kind of always a, a – you like where she's training. She kind of came in as an undersized fighter in this division, so maybe that three years away has has really helped her in, in terms of that one. Uh, Fialo means that, that that could be fight of the night. Um, it's also one of those things. If I, I think this is officially uh, Tim Means' fiftieth pro fight. You know, kind of what what is left there in the tank there. Uh, Rodriguez and, and Watterson Gomez probably a fight that goes the distance in, in terms of that one. But uh, the main event's a very interesting one. I mean, uh, you know, look, Gamrot has to he has to take this fight to the ground. I mean, if this this thing plays out in the feet. It is going to be uh, Physio's fight to win all day long. Uh, but that is uh, UFC Vegas 79. Of course, uh, then, of course, uh, next week's. Uh, do we not have a UFC card? No, we have a UFC card next week, right? Green and Dawson, October 7th. So we don't have a UFC card next week. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And then we're coming back with the epic Dawson and Bobby Green main event. Yeah, I saw. I saw uh, the line from Grant Dawson was he really wasn't uh, loving this matchup. Yeah. Dude, these two next main events are awful. We have Green and Dawson and Yusef and Barboza as the main events for for fight nights. What are we doing here? Yeah, you, you then yeah, that's your next two. And then you got the uh, the pay-per-view over in Abu Dhabi. 
Damn. I mean, look, yeah, Grant Dawson's on one hell of a run, but uh, still, this is, um, yeah, these are two week fight nights before we get to us, you know, what I assume would be a pretty good, I mean, yeah, we got a good pay per view and Mahachev, Oliveira, Costa, Chimaev. Those are the two fights. Uh, Tim Elliott, Muhammad Mukayev is another good fight on that fight card. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at that Grant Dawson, Bobby Green card. Uh, Joe Pfeiffer's on that card. That's co-main event against Al Hassan. Uh, Bill Algeo, Alexander Hernandez. Always love watching a Bill Algeo fight. Uh, Joaquin Buckley, Alex Monroe. That's a nice little welterweight matchup on there. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's one of those things, Daniel, where you just look at the fight card and you don't even got to tell me where it's at because I know where it's at based on the fight card. Yeah, they are not selling tickets for that one. That's yeah. what we do know. No, uh, by the way, of course, Contender Series uh, was on Tuesday night. Dana White ta- did talk to the media after it. Uh, a couple of notes from that one. Uh, he did say that Noche UFC will be a yearly event for the UFC. Says they are planning to head to Mexico. Uh, said they do plan to book the trilogy matchup between uh, Grasso and Shevchenko. Of course, Shevchenko's got that hand injury. Dana said that uh, the belief is that Shevchenko will be able to start uh, you know, throwing her hands in about three months from now. And uh, then there was a question about uh, you know, does Aaron Blanchfield against uh, Fia Rote, is that the fight that makes that would be a number one contender matchup? And Dana's response was, that would make sense. So it's not Dana saying they're doing it because you know how Dana likes to say the media likes to put words in his mouth. I, I literally made sure to put the quotes right. He said, would make sense. Yeah, would make some sense. So will it happen? I don't know, but there's going to be a lot of time before either one has an opportunity to fight for a title because we have a third fight coming. And by God, if Shevchenko wins, might have to do a fourth one. The, the funniest thing about the, the scrum day did on Tuesday was um, someone asked a question about um, the China card in December, I believe is when that's supposed to be, and, and about having um, a title fight on that one in the female division there. And uh, he's like, boy, y'all are really stretched for questions. You're asking me what's going to be on the China card. I was like, is that Dana's way of saying, hey, fellas, don't ask me that question because I have no idea. <laughs> and, then, and then someone asked about uh, the UFC going to Dublin. And Dana's like, boy, y'all are really pushing for these questions. Uh, and then basically Dana's like, yeah, I'm done. Damn. Yeah. Well, you know, they can't all be winners. I feel like last week he had a lot to say about, like, the PFL. And it was a good uh, – good press conference at the contender series. But I mean, look, you know, shout out to the contender series. There was that one, there was this one dude on the contender series, um, in the main event, the heavyweight, that was his name? Uh, Shamil. Oh God. Um, he, he's, he looks really good though. I'm um, Shamil Gazeev against Greg Velasco. This dude, Gazeev is pretty good. I mean, in the fight, he got him down and then he did eventually like get his back taken. But then he immediately got on top and landed ground and pound. So I will say, out of a lot of these dudes on the contender series, there's a lot of talented men and women. Shamil Kazeev, to me, is someone, when I look at his resume, and um, I, I think, man, this guy might do some good things in the UFC. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, it was pretty much of a, a situation where this was one of those cards where you could have said this was Dana White Contender Series Brazil edition because there was a lot of Brazilians on this card. And, of course, you know, one of those Brazilians uh, is a guy who won the opening matchup, Igor Da Silva, 8-0, and Daniel. He is only 20 years old. Took his first fight <laughs> at the age of 15. Damn. That's crazy. Imagine watching a 15-year-old fight. And, That's just sad. And he's he was a Jungle Fights champion. So, And, of course, Jungle wow. Fights is a promotion that uh, the UFC does get a lot of their talent from. So uh, definitely someone. And, and, look, we're seeing that more and more, especially in some of these international markets where fighters are able to take pro fights before they turn uh, 18 years old. Now, we want to wrap up this episode by talking about some of the, the news and notes. And I guess we should probably start with the fight announcements that Dana White made last night. Uh, Yuri and Alex is the co-main event of UFC 295. Of course, that is the Jones Miocic pay-per-view and that'll be for the vacant light heavyweight title and at UFC 296 Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington will be the main event. Co-main event is Pantoja versus Roy Val. But did you happen to see the tweet from Bilal Muhammad? before this fight was announced. I did. I did. What did it say? 
The fact that Colby Covington does not have a win against a fighter currently in the UFC in over 1,900 days. So I went there. I went to Colby Covington's uh, resume. His last win against a fighter currently on the UFC roster, you got to go back to July 9th, 2018 against Rafael Dos Anjos. Since then, he has three UFC wins, Robbie Lawler, Tyron Woodley, and Jorge Masvidal. That's crazy, bro. It's really crazy. I mean, you look at the entire UFC resume, and you really can't pick out too many fighters. I mean, is is Rafael Dos Anjos the only active UFC fighter he has a win over? Or is Brian Barbarana still in the UFC? Yes, he is. So I think you have Barbarana, you have Rafael Dos Anjos, I think that's it. I think uh, Max Griffin. Damian, Max Griffin's in the UFC? Yeah. Okay, so those are your three. So Colby has three wins over UFC fighters, according to my uh, stupid calculations. And none of them are that good, except for Rafael Dos Anjos. And, uh, yeah, that win was in 2018, which was uh, five years ago. Pretty crazy. Maybe Colby doesn't deserve a championship shot. But, uh, think, think about this. Colby made his UFC debut in August of 2014, and he's got, what, 15 UFC fights in nine years? Wow. Yeah, 15, 15 UFC fights in nine years. That's crazy, dude. Think about this. That is very... He hasn't fought since March of 2022. Yeah. Clearly, so Colby Covington must be good financially to just sit on sit on the sidelines for well over a year and a half. Yeah, and clearly, different guys play by different rules in this organization. If you're DDP, you're in the doghouse. Colby Covington, <laughs> you get your championship fight. Yeah. Uh, another thing that, to note about is, and and this does have a, a UFC tie into this because they are both now, uh, you know, under the, the same uh, business umbrella as the WWE reportedly cut a hundred plus employees following the formation of TKO, which is the company that is the, uh, which the UFC and WWE are under. And I was reading some stories on this one, Daniel. And, and as I was reading these stories, I was kind of wondering, like, I, I do wonder, and look, WWE does a tremendous job of, of what they do, um, particularly with their live event production, how the production looks on television. And, of course, the UFC does a great job as well. And I, as I was reading this, these articles that are out there on, on this stuff, Daniel, and obviously you're more well-connected on this because of uh, of what you're doing, but I was one of them thinking, I was like, I do wonder if we're going to see some integration in terms of how the WWE and UFC work together in terms of their television product. Yeah, I think you're going to see Endeavor look to fire people. That's what I think that you're going to see. You're going to see them look to do some synergies, uh, some corporate synergies, as they like to uh, just firing people. They're going to look at their production and they're going to be like, can this can this group of people? do the jobs of these two cool people. Can we fire these people so we can save, you know, a couple million dollars? So, yes, Jason, I do think they will look for some corporate synergies. I really hate the culture of Endeavor, man. I really do because they are making major profits with the UFC. The WWE signed this great TV deal. And the first thing that happens is you just fire a crap load of people. I mean, it's just like, why would I want to work for a place like that? You know, uh, if – like, I want to work for a place where I feel like it's a family, that they have my back, that I check in, and I don't need to be concerned that some person in a suit is going to come in and tell me I'm replaceable. Yeah. And they just did that, and they did that to the UFC. But that's what Endeavor does, and that's the one thing is, even though that's not a place I would want to work, these people are really good at their jobs. They're really good at figuring out how to make money, how to look at an organization, lean it out, and make big profits. That is what they do, and they do a great job of doing it. So even though I wouldn't want to work there, Jason, I do think they're going to find those corporate synergies. They will find ways that the production teams can merge. And unfortunately, I think that means that people, more people are going to lose their jobs because that's what Endeavor is all about, making sure the people at the top make the most green. 
and really, and I think when you talk about one of the, the biggest stories, and, and I, I don't think there's been a ton of talk about this, but to me, one of the biggest stories when you talk about, you know, this new company that they're both under is they are two organizations that have media rights deals that are coming up. It's very been very well publicized by the WWE and their media deals, especially with the, the SmackDown deal coming up. I think what's it in 2024, I want to say when they're up, and I want to say their deal on USA is through 2025 or 2026, one of the two. And then, of course, the UFC deal with ESPN is up after 2025. I would imagine... I don't think the UFC, the ESPN is going to let the UFC walk. But like to me, that like we talk about, you know, major storylines in terms of combat sports and, and you know sports entertainment is the media rights deals. I mean, the PFL's media right deal is up at the end of this year. Where are they going to end up? You know, could they could they be on a Turner or um, there was a, a note that. Um, HBO, or I guess it's now just Max. It's always going to be HBO Max to me. But Max wants to get into the live sports event categories. We've seen Apple Plus get into it. Like that to me is one of the biggest stories is where do all of these properties end up over the next couple of years? And, you know, could we, and, and could we, could we see the UFC and WWE both kind of be on the same platform? Look, I do think it's the UFC is in a good position. Peacock. This could be Peacock's last gambit is to be like the people at the cock are like saying, all right, this isn't working out. How are we going to make sure the cock gets bigger? And the way we're going to make sure Peacock gets bigger is we're going to get UFC and Peacock is going to be the destination for combat sports fans. So Peacock is probably going to put a big bid to get all the Endeavor properties under the same banner. UFC may have a really good offer for Peacock. But it doesn't stop there. UFC has been one of the big reasons why ESPN Plus has done any modicum of success. Mm -hmm. Because it is the place where people go to watch UFC. You aren't getting just like random ass, you know, division one, lower level, non-power five college games on there. You are getting some high quality fight night cards and great rewatchability. And you are also getting the pay-per-views. The ESPN property is really valuable. And it's really valuable not only to all these TV networks, but all these streaming platforms that want to make a splash. Because the mixed martial arts fan has already made the jump to primarily watching most of their product via streaming. Unlike some of these other leagues where people are still accustomed to watching an NBA or an NFL or an MLB game on TV, on cable. So I think the UFC is a very valuable product and I think they're going to make a lot of money going forward and i wouldn't be surprised if they're not on espn not because the relationship isn't good but it's just one of those they're probably going to get a lot of great offers and maybe one of these streaming networks is going to give them a crazy offer that they can't refuse you, you know the crazy thing talking about espn plus is i was over on espn plus yesterday on the web version of it and wasn't easy to find pfl when you learn the leagues, you got to scroll a lot, and just kind of made me wonder. Maybe, maybe, maybe is that a sign of what ESPN thinks of PFL? And uh, you know, and, and look, if PFL is not on ESPN twenty twenty four, I mean, I think they are going to see uh, a reduction in terms of the viewership they have. But I mean, look, it's I, I may I cut the cord, Jesus. 2018. Yeah, like I was like one. I, I got on YouTube TV like. Probably within like the first six months that I was on, I remember paying thirty nine bucks for YouTube TV. Daniel, my YouTube TV bill is not thirty nine dollars anymore. <laughs> How much is it now? Like sixty five dollars? I think the base package is sixty nine ninety nine. Damn. But That's yeah, crazy. it's yeah, <laughs> it's uh. It used to be that cutting the core was the cheaper alternative. But even though, like, I remember a couple months ago, I was looking at cable, and I'm like, cable ain't cheap? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it, it's not cheap at all. I mean, it's just, it's just like I think at first, here was this really good deal to get you hooked in. You made the transition. But now it's like, well, either way, you're going to be spending a pretty penny. Yeah, dude, you start and you start to think about all the streaming platforms you have and what you do and do not watch. I mean, it's you know, it's like someone was asking me the other day, "Is like, hey, do you have Apple? Um, 
Apple TV Plus, I go, no. I, I was like, the only thing I ever watched on there was Ted Lasso. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think I have it either. But uh, when I did have it, I'd watch Ted Lasso or, yeah, basically that was it. I mean, I know they, they got the... I know they got the MLS package on there, um, but I mean, what do I want to sit there and watch? Uh, Messi just, you know, look like he's playing against kids. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna get it all on Twitter anyway, or on X. You're gonna get all the highlights anyway. There isn't. I'm not super into the Houston Dynamo, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the whole thing about Twitter. So, is it still a tweet, or is it an, like what? What do we call a tweet now? Yeah, apparently it's a post, which just doesn't work as well as tweet. It just tweet was perfect. It's like they perfected it and then they just ruined it. But hey, did you whatever. see my my ex post? Yeah. Go. What'd she say? Oh, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, the branding. They they really had great branding, and then they just went and just blew it up. Yeah. Oh, oh. By the way, another thing. Note. Kind of a funny thing. So. For whatever reason, of course, you know, Danny gets asked a power slap question and he goes, and somehow drug testing comes up. He goes, Hey, we only had one person fail this time. Wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Everyone didn't pop for cocaine. That's uh, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Good for, good for power slap. Good for of course, Dana White wearing a, of course, Dana White wearing a power slap, power slap uh, t shirt to a UFC press conference. That's always, oh, yeah. Hey man, he's his passion project, you know, the world's premier slap fighting promotion. Claim that they've had 350 million downloads on the Power Slap uh, mobile game. Seems like a, a bit of a stretch. Can't imagine 350 million people it, around the world you know downloading that. It's a lot of people, Jason. It's a lot, of people, a lot of people, but like, could I see like a lot of people? There's way seven young, billion younger than us saying that's a game they love on the play on their phone. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I guess that's a valid point. I guess people can just go to the app store and just kind of buy it. But dude, like, that's a lot of people. Okay, like, I don't even know still. what the game's called. I pr- I'm going to the app store to see what this. I'm I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna search. Wow, if you go power, it's the fourth thing that comes up. So I guess it must be popular. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe it's got 9.4 thousand reviews. It's called Power Slap. Tim, maybe we should uh, should start playing some Power Slap. See, now I just want to look at. uh, I want to look at the most recent rankings. The the first one is it's in between generic mobile gaming and well made. Wow. Yeah. Uh, oh, this this is always never a good sign. As, as someone who does like to play games on, on his phone, it's a one star review. Too many ads. <laughs> See, I, I'm that dude that if you offer me, hey, pay four ninety nine for a ad free version of this. Yep, let's go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm becoming one of those guys. I'm about to do some YouTube subscription service because I'm tired of all these YouTube ads. That's like fifteen bucks uh, a month for that. Yeah, I might I might buy that because I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos and I watch a lot of YouTube ads and I'm tired of clicking off those ads after five seconds. <laughs> Skip ad. <laughs> yeah, tired of it. So I may I may, I may get out get on that bandwagon. Yeah, I get you with that one. But, of course, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, new podcasts come out every week. Of course, uh, next week we'll talk about everything that happens in MMA this upcoming weekend because you know something crazy is going to happen. We'll see what happens. Maybe something crazy happens in Dublin. Maybe something crazy happens in Las Vegas or anything else going on in the world of mixed martial arts. That's going to do it for this episode of the MMA Report Podcast.